they don't want him to be a sporty kid because my brother was sporty and we just spent every weekend yeah. either like at cricket or at footy. And I was just like, <sighs> so I'm hoping he's pretty much just going to be me and want to be in school play. And I was like, yes. Just the mini Ash. You know I would love that. And I'd be like. Stage mum. Yeah, I'm not a regular mum. I'm cool. That would be me. Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is, Ash, he'll probably end up being like a true Catholic footy player or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, what have I done wrong? Exactly. <laughs> Welcome to Talking in Common, a podcast of all things lifestyle, family, relationships, well-being, kids and culture. This is not a how-to, but an insight into the lives of ourselves and others and how we all manage to get by. Hosted by myself, Kate Gadinsky, and my co-host, Sophie Panton. Take a listen and let's find out what we all have in common. Before we get into today's chat, we want to thank and highlight Biostime 2FL HMO Pro Boost Plus Vitamin D a convenient daily immune defence supplement for your children 12 months of age and older. Proudly made in Australia. Hi, Soph. Why is your voice so croaky? (laughs) Oh, stop it. (laughs) Stop, stop, stop it and leave me alone. I do not have a croaky voice. It sounds fresh as a daisy. I'm pretty sure you put me in the shit one of the episodes last time when I was hungover. Okay, thank you. Share it with the world. How are you? I had a few too many drinks last night. You're an animal. I feel amazing now, actually. I've never felt better. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back, babe. Thank you. Excuse me, having a little sip of my tea. No, you enjoy What's going on? Tell me everything, but tell it to me quickly because I'm freaking starving. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think that's what we have in common, right? Are you hungry? I'm starving because I'm <laughs> hungover. And why are you hungry if you're not hungover? Oh, I'm heavily preggers. Ah, oh, so there you go. Sorry, guys, a bit boring, but that is what we have in common today. Yeah, we're both um, like hanging for a pizza or something. I have to say, though, one thing that really helped me get through my nasty hangover mm-hmm. was I knew we had this exciting episode to record today. Oh, good. Love and that. one of my favourite things about our podcast is you know, you and I talk about this a lot, is connecting with like-minded people. And I Mm. feel like today's guest was someone that I truly felt connected to. Yeah. Apart from being mums, we had a lot in common, I thought. I hadn't met her before, but I felt like I was speaking to an old friend. Yeah. Which I love. So without any further ado, today (laughs) we are chatting to the wonderful Ash London. And she's honestly one of the loveliest ladies knocking around. We had a great conversation with her just connecting and sharing and indulging in one of our all-time favourite topics, motherhood. And she's actually got a brilliant podcast of her own, the Ash London podcast, where she too is exploring motherhood in its early stages and all the intricacies that come with this transitional phase of our lives Hence why we wanted to get her on and chat to her today and hear all about how she's going with it. Ash is an Australian TV and radio presenter. She's best known for her authentic music passion. Knows so much as well. Absolutely. And she's got a real ability to connect with some of the biggest artists in the world. You'll see why when we chat to her, her honesty and openness is just so inviting. And she is just so you know, she is what she is. Mm. She's a total entertainment guru who began her career in music journalism nearly 10 years ago. And she is, of course, known for her Ash London Live radio show, which was broadcast nightly across Australia. 
she announced that she wouldn't be continuing with her national show last September after five and a half years of doing that. And she has since given birth to a beautiful little boy, Buddy. Buddy! So gorgeous. What a cute name. Let's hear from Ash. How are you? I'm really good. I was just telling Kate before we started that I just cleaned poo out of my baby's belly button. (gasps) Oh, that's a nice one. Yeah, because yesterday it looked like it was getting a bit red and my husband's a real picker. Like he picks pimples. You're like that, so. Yeah. But I had I to be like, I'm cradle not cap. allowed on the cradle cap. Oh, <laughs> oh, don't. Do you know she did that to my baby Ash one day? She had my baby sitting on her lap for ages. And I'm like, what are you actually doing over there? And she was literally scraping my child's head. It was <laughs> oh. my first baby too. I'm like, can you get off my human, please? Give her back. You know, I'm, I'm with you, Soph, because it's like, and I was kind of sad when I cured the cradle cap because it was gone and I couldn't pick it anymore. Mm. But I read that if you pick it too much, you can get infected and that would be bad. So, Well, that's the thing. I find it kind of gross, hence why I like to pick it off. But I was like really pedantic with my baby with the washcloth in the bath. Oh, yeah, a bit really of gently oil. every night. So she actually never got any. What? <laughs> my child never got any cradle cap. Mm, very fast. Not one speck. Ash, welcome to Talking in Common. Thanks for having we me, are- girls. We are so pumped to have you here with us today. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure, Treasures. I'm really pumped as well. I'm happy to be here and happy to just be in a quiet room for an hour. It's teething week <laughs> in the London Brian household and our baby's turned from easy peasy breezy, never cries, never makes a sound, sits there laughing and smiling to like, I don't even know who this kid is anymore. It's, it's all a phase. I was secretly hoping he was going to protest his nap today because I wanted to see his cute little face on our screen. We were like, hopefully he has a short nap and we get to meet him halfway through. Yeah. Well, no, I think he's just gone down. I'm checking the um, the monitor now. Adrian's pretty good at getting him to sleep. So, yeah, he's he's, he's off with the fairies. He's asleep for two hours. He's the, the, the middle of the day nap. It's just like, yes. I live for that. Yeah, but I don't do anything. I just sit on the couch and yeah. look on my phone. <laughs> So bad. <laughs> Scroll for a good hour. Watch an episode of reality TV. And I've been watching um The Gilded Age. Like I love Ooh. a Ooh. period drama. So it's from the makers of Downton Abbey, but it's set oh. late 1800s New York. Oh, um, cool. No one talks like that in it though still. New York. <laughs> New York, boy, <laughs> you know, mafia accent. Yeah, so I watched a bit of that last night. And Sanditon, which is – Season two's just dropped, came out last night. So after this, I'm going to have this and then I'm going to have an hour of more period drama and then the baby will be awake and I'll be happy. Yeah, happy days. So we like to ask all of our guests, Ash, what was it that you wanted to be when you were growing up? We feel like it gives insight into who you are sometimes. I wanted to be an actor, an actress. Yeah, I was a real, like, I was that kid. I was that, like, performing arts kid. Thinking back, I think I may have been quite painful and precocious. Like <laughs> now that I'm old enough, I think, yeah, people around me that knew me back then, like aunts and uncles, they're all like, no, you weren't. But I'm like, mm. yeah, no, I did shows. and yeah. So, yeah, I wanted to be an actress. And then when I got older, I fell in love with music. But I had lots of super talented musician friends. It was very yeah. obvious to me that while I loved music, I was not at a level at which I could actually make it. So I just had to find a way to be involved in it. And mm. I didn't know what that was going to look like. You know, it, it kind of came good in the end and I found my little niche. But yeah, I just loved 
love, love, loved music. So, well, I was going to say you haven't strayed far from that, as in like some parts of what you do, you know, radio presenting, TV presenting, that sort of stuff. Like well, I never wanted to do of- radio. I thought radio was like. Not cool. You're so good at it, though. Thank you. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I wanted to do, like, TV because I thought, like, the visual medium was, like, way more fun. Yeah. And mm. I it skipped all the radio units in my degree because I was, like, boring. Oh. Yeah. And then I did a bit of TV, which is fun and I enjoy, but everything takes so long. Yeah. And then I tried a bit of radio and I was like, oh, this is cool because it's, like, just the immediacy of it and yeah. you don't have to stand for two hours getting lighting right. Like I hated that. Mm. So, and I got to do the music side of radio as opposed to like the let's do a phone topic about tomato sauce in the fridge or the pantry all day. So it came, <laughs> you know, I made it work for me. That's awesome. Well, we'll touch a little bit more on that later in our chat, but can we go a little bit back to your childhood? I want to know kind of how your childhood years have sort of shaped the human you are today and the mother that you are to Buddy. Mm. Well, I had a pretty, like, weird upbringing. I grew up in Melbourne. Yeah. My brother is nine years older than me and he was, like, one of those genius kids. So he, like, finished high school at 16, went straight to uni, blah, blah, blah. Right. Moved out pretty young. And when he kind of finished school, we moved to the Philippines. So I moved away from him and we stayed very close. But, yeah, we moved to the Philippines and I was about 11, I think. And then I spent a while there, like, away from family, But I had this amazing couple of years living as an expat in Asia with a lot of friends who were like super well-traveled. I went to an international school where like the academic side of things was like really kind of pushed and that was like it was cool to be smart for me, you know, like if you got good grades, that was like a really cool thing and all the cool kids did the advanced maths classes. So I kind of had that nerdiness but I also had a school that was had an amazing performing arts curriculum. This is 20 years ago. So now kind of all of those Asian countries are a lot more developed and there's a lot more kind of um, Western culture happening. Back then there was nothing and it wasn't super safe outside of like I couldn't go to the mall with my friends. I was like a 13-year-old Australian kid. So we spent all our time at school or doing extracurricular activities and like the school play and the musicals were like my time to shine. So <laughs> that kind of really shaped me as a someone who really loved education and really loved performing and the arts. And I also have a really close family. So um, my mom always called me her shadow. Like growing up, I was just always with my mom, just yeah. me and mom. And um, I think now that I'm a parent, I'm like, wow, my mom really didn't baby me ever. Like her plans came first and I just fit into that. You know, if she had to go somewhere, well, I just went with her. None of this like, well, the kid has to have her playtime. And no, I didn't have, I wasn't allowed to have Barbies because mum was like, didn't agree with them. And she's a teacher. So she kind of really um, took that really seriously. So we didn't have lots of money when I was like young, young, but my mum always uh, made sure it was a really creative household and I had to kind of make my own fun. And, you know, I didn't have heaps of toys and like my rich cousins had like all the latest everything. Whereas mum would be like, no, you can write a book today or write a play or you can listen to the Guys and Dolls soundtrack for two hours or The Lion King, which I would do as a pastime. Yeah, you'd love that anyway, I oh, reckon. are you joking? <laughs> I was heaven. So, um, yeah, I think you can kind of split my childhood into two parts. It was like the, the time in Australia and then the time overseas. Yeah, and then I kind of came home and did a bit of boarding school, hated that. 
and then did uni here as well and studied film and television. And as far as affecting how I've been a mother, I think, yeah, my mum was super hands-on, super, like we're a Middle Eastern family. We talk about our emotions. We're very kind of upfront with it all. So I think that's definitely affects the way I mother. Do you find that you implement the same sort of approach, like not getting too many gadgets or toys or? I would like to think so, but. (laughs) I'll give you two years when you have a two-year-old and which Soph and I always joke about this. It's like, I'm not going to have all this stuff, like all this plastic shit that I don't want my kid to have. And then it's like two years later. Uh, Six months. Six months, Kate. Like Like the teething yesterday, I just was like, I can't do this. I'm just going to put YouTube on. Yeah. Mm. Coco Melon. I've done Coco Melon. Don't do Coco Melon. Because I feel like I will jump off the balcony. Like I've seen it (laughs) and I'm like, oh, no, no, no. So I feel better about it by putting like old spot episodes on that I used to watch as a kid. And it's like they're super shit, like super 2D. But he doesn't know yet. He doesn't know yet. How cool. Mind-blowing to him. Yeah, but definitely the reading thing, like I, my mum really encouraged me to read Mm. and I think that had had like a huge effect on my brain and my ability to communicate and just my knowledge of the world. Like I'm really, really grateful that mum kind of pushed me to be a reader and I would love mm. Buddy to be a reader, definitely. The only thing I probably, I probably do differently is my mum made me go to church and I would never make my child go to church. That's kind of like the the one thing. Like for yeah. me, if he came to me and was like, I've decided to become a Christian, I'd be like, okay, I respect your decision. <laughs> you know, whereas most people will be like the opposite. I don't think kids should be forced to, you know, because it's too hard. It's too hard to figure out when you get to an age where it's time for you to figure out what you really believe if you've been not indoctrinated, that's a bit, but influenced. Yeah. One way it it is hard to really know what you believe and that that took me a couple of years of lots of unpacking and unpicking. That's interesting. Mm. Because it becomes what you're used to, right? It lumps in with that whole like even as a 35-year-old, I don't want to disappoint my mother, you know, and yeah, there's still right. that kind of, well, if mum told me that it's how it is, well, then it's true. Yeah. And, you know, in my 20s and 30s, I was still being, okay, well, is this just conditioning? Like, Because my mum's a legend. She's like, believe what you want to believe. Like, it's your life. Mm, At no yeah. point was she like, you have disappointed me by walking away from the faith of your ancestors. She's cool, man. It was <laughs> me and my own hang-ups about that. So, yeah, um, yeah look, I don't know what I'm going to teach him about the world. But, yeah, look, I, I wouldn't force him. Like I wouldn't go to a religious school and I wouldn't force him to go to church. Well, it's a very different world now too and he will be in a very different world by the time he starts growing up and being influenced by his environment. And Yeah, there's enough of that. You know, there's so many forces at work these days telling us as adults, let alone like small children who are like little sponges, who they should be. I don't want to add to that with my own mm. kind of, you know, expectations and all that. The only thing is I don't want him to be a sporty kid because my brother was sporty and we just spent every weekend either like at cricket or at footy and I was just like. Me too. I spent my whole childhood going to my brother's sporting matches and it like to the point where it totally turned me off. Mm, Totally. (laughs) So I'm hoping he's pretty much just going to be me and we want to be in the school play. And I was like, yes. Just the mini Ash. Pretty much, but you know we can't. That's not why we have kids. I know musical theatre. Perhaps you can you can book him into some good uh, musical theatre. You know I would love that, and I'd be like, 
stage mum. Yeah, I'm not a regular mum. I'm cool. That would be me. Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is, Ash, uh, he'll probably end up being like a true Catholic footy player or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, what have I done wrong? Exactly. <laughs> what have I created? <laughs> so let's talk a little bit, a bit more about mum life. It's one of our all-time favourite topics. And, yeah, we know it's yours too now. And like Kate was saying to you before, we've been loving tuning into your first season of your podcast where you're exploring the weird, wonderful world of motherhood. Tell us how has your introduction to motherhood been? My introduction to motherhood was completely different to how I expected it would be, which is weird because I don't know what my expectations were. But Mm -hmm. I think there's always a sense that you feel like you'll be the exception. And I think I've always felt with any most things in life when I'm told it's going to be one way, you think, well, it won't be like that for me. Mm. Yeah. But I think the biggest surprise perhaps has been the monotony of it Mm. and this beautiful kind of dichotomy of magic and monotony. Like it's this magical, amazing, you get these moments where you're just Mm. like, is this even real? This kid is mine and Adrian's and and then there's this like, okay, it's the same thing I have done for the last three weeks. Yeah. When is this going to be more fun? Mm. So that has been a tough experience. (laughs) We talk about that a lot. It's a total paradox. Totally. (laughs) Like opposite ends of the spectrum. But I, th- I think COVID really um, affected it because I just thought my maternity leave was going to look one way and the first couple months of motherhood was going to look one way. We did not go to Qualia. I did not have one girl's lunch. No one got <laughs> to see me look cute with my bump. Did you get a pregnancy massage at least? Probably not. No, because I didn't want to get COVID. Yeah, of course. And everyone knows I love massages, so that was like the present I kept getting given, like a, a voucher. And I've still got like 10, which I will use now. But, yeah, look, it was just that whole experience was not what I expected and there was kind of a grief associated with that, that this is really my maternity leave and the first six months of motherhood are not going to look the way that I dreamed they would and yeah. I have to kind of let that go and be okay with that. And I really did worry that Buddy would struggle with strangers and not want to be held because it was just mum and dad and him at home 24 hours a day. Like even when he was born, it was like the height of Sydney's COVID outbreak and even my mom didn't visit. Like she moved up from Melbourne to be nearby and she would just drop food over every day to her credit. She was like, I want you guys to just have your little bubble and I don't want to get in the way of that. When you need me, you'll know. And then about a couple of weeks in, I had a meltdown and called her and I was like, I just need you to come over. And she was like, I'm on my way. <laughs> but yeah, and he's fine with other people, thank God, by some miracle. I think enough of my like <laughs> my obsession with relationships and has passed on to him that he was okay with people. Yeah. I think collectively like COVID mothers can relate to that. I had my daughter at the beginning of 2020 and it was like two months until we went into lockdown in Melbourne. And so I lived through that too. I was like, she's never even met anyone. She's like six months and she's never met another human except for me. Just FaceTime. (laughs) Yeah, right. Oh, my gosh. Buddy like knows FaceTime now. And and I know that he knows the difference because if I just put the camera up and he sees himself, he's cool. But if I put the face, because, you know, in the FaceTime it shows you first and he hears yeah. when the FaceTime goes on, he knows he's about to see one of his grandmothers and he's like. Yes. <laughs> Does he recognise the FaceTime ring? Yeah, the ring. My daughter knows the ring, yeah. Totally. 
and she'll be like, yeah, it's daddy or yeah, it's her grandma. And it means that they're so happy because he's genuinely happy to see them and yeah and we've made time to like have proper actual in real life FaceTime as well which is you know made that even more magical but Mm. yeah look motherhood has has been nothing that I expected and I also thought that I would be a lot more earth mama about it all because I'm generally pretty like holistic and cocoa jumbo spiritual and a bit you know but I um kind of it's weird. I thought I would be really into my meditation and my yoga and just can't be fucked really. <laughs> There's no time. And then when as you were saying before, like after this, you want to sit on the couch, you want to watch a show. The baby's asleep. You want to like look at your phone and just completely tune out. Which in theory, like maybe you tune out when you do yoga, but like you can't be bothered. You're exhausted. <laughs> That's been a big learning curve for me is just to let myself not be bothered. It's okay. Yeah, it's like it's only been six months. And in my previous life, six months was a really long time. But now it's like, oh, no, six months is is nothing. I circle back to that when I, you know, stand on the weights in the morning and go, oh, shit, I'm still 10 (laughs) kilos heavier than I was, you know, when I got pregnant. Or when I think about my career and I'm like, I haven't worked in six months, shit, you know, like that panic sets in. But then you have to kind of really go, well, no, you've had a baby. Mm. So six months isn't a lot and that's hard for me. Probably the hardest job you'll ever do. And I have Adrian, my husband, home full time. Like we both stepped back from work, had a baby, and we are as close to 50-50 as is possible when only one of us can breastfeed. (laughs) If I wasn't breastfeeding, we'd be 50-50. And I was talking to a friend yesterday whose husband had to go straight back to work and she's got three kids and I was like, well, I just couldn't do it. I know in my deepest most honest self I could not do that and she was like well you could because you'd have to and you're a woman so you dig deep and you roll up your sleeves and you do it and I'm like yeah no I don't think I could <laughs> I mean maybe I could but um yeah even with all the help it's hard fucking work man it's hard it's the hardest job I've ever done because I've always had this kind of fake job where you just like walk into a studio and talk shit and then leave and people think it's like oh wow I'm like this is not a job I don't know why they pay me for this <laughs> motherhood is a job I remember people saying to me before I had kids, going to work is now the days that is like relaxing or relieving. And I could so relate to that now. The days that I go to work and I drop my daughter at childcare, I'm like, ah, oh, it's just me. <laughs> I think my coffee sitting in the car in peace, in silence. Seriously. Yeah, which is just a bizarre concept because before you have a baby, you're like, oh, I've got so much work, I'm so tired. But it's just a different level. It's emotional, it's physical, it's like layers of. Yes, mm. and you can't really tune out. My mm. first bit of work was hosting an event. I think Bud was like six or seven weeks old and it was for Universal Music and their, their friends and a destination New South Wales. So it was two companies I'd worked with before and I loved and I wanted to do this hosting job and there was a relationship there so I was like, cool. And I remember the same thing. He was only six weeks old and I left him at home, expressed, left him at home, put some makeup on and I went, I got there, and, you know, and it's like hosting an event for important people, interviewing someone and I said, it, sh- it should be really kind of stressful. And I was like, oh, I'm just <laughs> loving it. I was like, and I'm back. I'm back. Like I'm just going to, you know, like put my music, like how good is just pumping music in the car? Like to me that is like the ultimate and like screaming the lyrics and I got there and I, you know, you know I couldn't have a drink because I was breastfeeding, but to me that was like a really relaxing three hours. 
And how did it go, that interview? Did you nail it? Or were you like, oh, I'm so sorry. I am all over the place. Like, I'm not with you right now. <laughs> no, I think I was just so excited to be working again and feeling like a bit of myself was still there. Yeah. And I don't think anyone knew how recently I'd given birth because I knew I had a baby. And they're like, oh, how old is he now? And I was like, six weeks. weeks. And thinking back, I'm like, what a crazy bitch. Like, what are you doing? Like, no wonder they were like, why are you here? Good on you, though, for getting out there, getting off the couch, separating from Buddy for a couple of hours and doing something that made you feel good. Yeah, I think the three hours is is my limit. This week I had a facial and I got my eyebrows done. <gasps> LED I saw I saw on your Instagram because I'm a major LED fan. Oh, I've never it's done it best. before. It's and so the next day I was like, I want to go again. Like, how <laughs> often can I get this LED? Can I have one at home? It actually works, doesn't it? That is my, like, if you talk self-care like a facial every like couple of months. That's my thing. Yeah, no, I've That's already booked in to go back in four weeks yeah. and I've put it in my calendar right, and my weeks. husband's calendar and I'm like. Same. I send my husband calendar requests, facial, all the time. <laughs> we, I never wanted to be that person that was like having to copy in my husband. But it's like if something like th- this interview I didn't put in the calendar and Adrian was like, um, I know you verbally told me about this, but why is it in the calendar? My husband does that as well all the time. Has he always been the organised one, mm. like pre-babies? You're pretty organised too, Kate. Not in compared to him. Like, Really? Yeah, he's super organised. I'm a bit like organised chaos. Yes, me too. I'm very impulsive. I don't know if organised is the right word. No, Adrian is like loves order. Yeah. Loves order, whereas I don't care. And loves like neatness, like not just in like our schedules but the house. So like the, mm. we tried solids for the first time this week with Buddy and Adrian Ooh. lasted about 20 <laughs> seconds before he was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And literally <laughs> started like undoing the bib and putting it all away. I was like, in what universe did you think this was not going to be messy? You'll need to get one of those smocks. Yeah, we got the smock. And I think he needs like a full, I think Adrian wants to put a tarpaulin down every time. <laughs> he just was not coping. And I was like, you've got to let him be free with it. And I'm doing the baby led weaning. So I'm like, you've got to let him feed himself. And Adrian's trying to like, how I'm like, don't help him. Just let him be. He's fine. And Adrian's like, not coping, not coping. You were saying before we, I think, clicked record that you have a cream couch. Yeah. Which so we that- bought when we were very much not in the headspace of having kids. <laughs> At least it's washable. But yeah, all my friends that come over like, <laughs> It's, it's a no from us. You need like a black leather couch, but like I don't really want a black leather couch yet. Lucky for me, Adrian does all the washing, so he will happily strip the couch, wash everything dry and put it back on. He sounds heavenly, this Adrian. He is. Everything that I'm not, organised, clean, loves a job, never procrastinates, I am the opposite of all those things. Oh, I'm so loving today's mum chat. But Kate, you know how we often talk about gut health? All the time. Well, did you know that 70% of the immune system exists in the gut? So to support your child's immune system this winter, try Biostime's 2FL HMO Pro Boost plus vitamin D, a convenient daily immune defence supplement for children 12 months of age and older. It contains 2FL HMO, which is a prebiotic similar to that found in breast milk. And we all know how good breast milk is for our little ones. HMOs are the third most abundant solid component in breast milk. It also contains vitamin D to support your child's immune system, healthy growth and development. Biostime supplements are proudly producing the next generation of children's nutrition and can be found at Chemist Warehouse, Woolworths Online, Amazon or from biostime.com.au. 
Now remember everyone, always read the label and follow directions for use and please note 2FL is not derived from breast milk. Now babe, let's get back into it. So speaking about babies obviously and breastfeeding, I and so if we both listened to your episode where you talked about breastfeeding and correct me if I say this wrong, dysphoric milk ejection reflex. You nailed it. Is that right? D-M-E-R. Yeah. Okay. So for those that um, don't know, it's dysphoric, which is the opposite of euphoric. So it's yep. crap. And milk ejection, which is lactation and reflex is a reflex. So you pretty much feel like shit every time your boobies have milk come yeah. out. So I never knew about this. Can mm. you please explain? And it's fascinating. So I didn't know about it until I experienced it and I thought I had postnatal depression. Yeah. But I decided as I've learned after 10 years of therapy, always scratch the surface, dig a little deeper, ask some questions, figure out what's really going on because I was having these feelings of intense dread. So the best way I can describe it is when your boss that you hate sends you a text that says, we need to talk, or your boyfriend that you're really scared he's going to dump you sends you a text and says, we need to talk. And that kind of like kick in the gut feeling. I started getting it pretty much straight away and I was getting it all the time, but I wasn't paying attention to when it was happening. I just thought it was kind of like sporadically throughout the day. Yeah. And then I realized that I would feel it and then my boobs would start leaking. I was like, ah. So then I started paying attention to, well, when I breastfeed, does it happen? And it would happen kind of about 30 seconds before the milk started coming out. So like as soon as Buddy would latch, I'd feel like this kick in the gut and for about a minute and a half, ugh, I'd think about things that would usually bring me joy and I would hate them. Or <laughs> let's say I was like cooking some lasagna for dinner, my number one favourite thing, and I was so hungry, so ready to eat the lasagna. The demo would hit and it would be like gross lasagna, disgusting. I hate it. Throw it out. I don't want to end it. How could anyone ever eat lasagna? <laughs> so I Googled it. Why do I feel sad when I breastfeed? <laughs> <laughs> and discovered that this is a thing. And I thought, this cannot be a real thing. This is obviously, can't be real. And I spoke to my obstetrician about it, who I adore, and she confirmed it and we had a talk about it. And she's like, absolutely. There's not a lot of study and not a lot of kind of research done, but anecdotally she's seen it happen and it's a definitely, I mean, it's not in my head. I know it isn't because it's so full on and it still happens every single time. Yeah, so still now every time you feed. It's gotten worse, if anything. Oh, still, it's still getting worse. Yeah, now I get nausea as well. So it's like I want to throw Far up. Far out. I always said that I would start to wean him at six months mm-hmm. and it's six months today and oh. I don't know if I could wean him. It's mm. really funny. Like I just like I'll cry thinking about it. Like I don't want him to stop breastfeeding because I love it, but it's also ruining my life. <laughs> Once the letdown happens and this feeling passes and he still might feed for 10 minutes or half an hour, however long he drinks for these days, do you then start to feel good about it or do you feel fine about it? You know, I love it, but it's forever tainted. Like when I think Mm. of breastfeeding, I don't think of that connection. I think of that sick feeling that I get. And I've had so much milk that I was getting like, five, six random letdowns a day on top of the eight breastfeeding sessions I was doing. Do you know if it's more common for women that have a higher milk production? So prolactin is the hormone that 
enables lactation. And in order for prolactin to rise, your dopamine has to drop. And for Mm -hmm. most people, it's a slow and steady drop. But for me, it's like really quick. So you go from like feeling fine, you know, to feeling crap really, really quickly. And yeah, nothing to do with the amount of milk. And generally, Mm -hmm. if you have it with one baby, you have it with all the babies and it generally stays as long as you breastfeed. The only way that it's better that I've recently discovered through sheer exhaustion is when I lie down to feed. So if I lie in bed and put him next to me, for some reason. It doesn't happen. Yeah, my naturopath thinks it might be because your letdown is slower when you're lying down. So maybe that, or maybe it's because I generally only feed him lying down when I'm like so exhausted that I can't (laughs) sit up. So maybe I'm just too tired. Mm. But that has probably been the tough for me, definitely the toughest part of the last six months has been that that Dima. But when I did put it on my Instagram, I reckon 100 women were like, oh, my God, that was me. And I just thought I was crazy or something. Or had postnatal mm. depression or I was imagining it or my GP told me that, you know, I was had PND like so many women or someone got diagnoses, which I was really happy about, but majority of them were like, I never told anyone because I didn't mm. want to like, you know, admit it or I thought I was imagining it, which to me is just like horrible mm. because, you know, the, the research says that 9% of women actually in some form struggle with it. Mm. And I think that in those early days, a lot of women would probably just give up breastfeeding because it's all a bit much without really making the connect. I want to get dummy. <laughs> I don't know when I picked it up. Has that been in your hand the whole time? I don't know, Kate. I have no idea. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that. Where did it come from? Oh, that's so good. Yeah, so I, I think a lot of women would probably have just given up because you know what it's like. You're exhausted. You're leaking. You're tired. You're emotional. And then you feel crap and so you stop breastfeeding well that's why it's so important to talk about your experiences especially someone like you that has a platform to talk to people about that because one of the fascinating things that I found from that conversation was that a lot of women it would be misdiagnosed just as postnatal depression Mm. and therefore they have been encouraged just to you know give up breastfeeding or whatever deal with that with that diagnosis but I think because like my parents are often sick growing up, you learn to medicalize things and you just trust doctors, right? So if a doctor tells yeah. you something, you take it at face value and then you just, you know, but I'm learning as I get older that we often have to advocate for our own health. And especially as a mother, you have to kind of trust your own gut and instinct. Oh, and, you know, it's tough. Like my GP has told me things that through my own research, I disagree with about when yeah. to start solids or just things like that. And I'm not going to sit there and tell my GP, oh, no, actually, um, that's wrong and the research has moved on. I'm just going to say, cool, nod and thank you and, and leave. But we're not going to take some of that advice. And I probably wouldn't have done that ever before because if the doctor told me something, I would follow it to a T. Mm. But now I find that I trust myself a bit more. And I'm not saying I'm like, you know, curing cancer with a herb I'm finding in the garden. Like not <laughs> that kind of you know, it's not misinformation that I'm talking about the doctors are giving. I'm just saying, mm. you know, advocating for myself a bit more, trusting myself a bit more. No one knows your baby better than you. No, totally. So. And thank God I've had a healthy baby because, and I am dramatic and anxious, you know, like he's teething at the moment. I'm like, but is it meningitis? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. She hasn't even got a temperature. Okay. It's funny because I think 
you know, when you're pregnant, all you think about is the labor, the birth, like everyone is so fixated and obsessed by that. But you don't really think about what breastfeeding or bottle feeding, whatever it is you do, is going to be like. But it's so complex and can be so hard. You know, everyone has a different experience, but we just tend to not think about it. But that's when the real shit starts, man. Yeah. Seriously. That's the hard part. They handed me this baby and I ended up having to have a cesarean. I was going to ask you, tell us about your birth. Yeah, well, it was so fun. So I um, (laughs) – it literally was. I had this like heaven pregnancy and I had like hardcore anxiety for a while and my anxiety was usually around getting sick. I would think I was getting sick, imagine I was getting sick, never wanted to get sick. So So I thought, oh, shit. When I have a baby, my pregnancy, this is my poor husband. He was like, he was doubling down for like nine months of me going to the hospital every day because mm. I had to get off my meds and all this stuff to get pregnant. And then magically I had this pregnancy and I was like, I'm fine. But this peace just came upon me. Mm. And I think for the first time in my life, I was like, stopped caring so much about my own mm. whatever. And like, all I cared about was the baby. And um, previous to getting pregnant, I always thought that I would just want the most medicalized kind of drug-fueled birth of all time. <laughs> but then I got pregnant and I was like, you know what, I'll probably get an epi, but I would like to at least try to have a natural birth. And I did the calm birth classes and did my yoga every day and lots of meditation. And then at kind of 36 and a half weeks, the doctor was like, you've got preeclampsia, baby's still breached. He'd been breached since 30 weeks. So in my head I was somewhat prepared for a c-section anyway so yeah 36 about 37 weeks we did the c-section and oh man it was like a hotel stay it was beautiful like I went in there and Adrian got to stay with me in the hospital and had beautiful midwives who I still get coffees with they allowed Adrian to stay with me the whole time for like the you know the spinal block we, we weren't apart until after Buddy had come out which to me was the best part and um, you'll like this story, Kate, actually. So I have to rewind a bit to when Adrian proposed to me a couple of years ago. And obviously music is a huge part of my life. Yeah. So Adrian's like we go away in Blue Mountains and I didn't know that he was about to propose and put some music on and we're just hanging around the kitchen and doing this. He made a jigsaw puzzle of photos of us and I still hadn't clicked. And then by the time I realised I was getting proposed to, I was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. And Ed Sheeran was playing, Aww. was Castle on the Hill. And I was like, the, even in my head, I was like, this is cute. Ed will love this. So he proposes. I'm like, of all the songs, I never would have guessed it would be Ed, but here we are. And then oh. <laughs> at your dad's service is when I got to tell people that I was pregnant. Yeah. So I was like telling, you know, I got to tell like Angus, one of my best friends, having a baby. And it was, you know, it was so beautiful, this kind of like this like life and death and was lovely. And Ed at that service kind of played visiting hours and AJ mm. and I sat there bawling. and going to make me cry in a sec, Ash, I'm just warning you. And then we're in the um, birthing suite and there was this music playing and I was like, oh, the music. And Siobhan, my OB, was like, oh, did you want to change the music? And I was like, no, 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 it's totally fine. And then as we come in, visiting hour starts playing and oh Adrian God. like looks at me and I look at him and, you know, like beautiful. And then more different music plays and, you know, it's like 40 minutes with all this. And then it came time for Buddy to come out and Ed comes back on again and oh it, was, it was perfect. You know, the song Perfect about, oh, you know, um, you know. And then as they passed him over to me, this beautiful, you know, song about, you look perfect tonight and it sounds perfect like that song's playing the baby's 
born. And Ed was our kind of soundtrack of all these beautiful moments along the way. And are you an Ed, like, are you an Ed fan? Or it's probably not what you would have chosen for your playlist. No, like, I I love him, (laughs) but I would have chosen some, like, random James Blake or, like, you know, Jose Gonzalez song or something. My girls were born, mum was born to the Rolling Stones, Satisfaction, and this is not planned. I was like, that's kind of funny song. And and my second was born to Fleetwood Mac, The Chain. Oh, sick. Yeah. They're two sick songs. Yeah, but that was just by coincidence. Do you remember that? I just remember the chain playing and me just trying to push this child out, just like, shut the music up. (laughs) Britney was on at one point and I literally like said, I I fucking hate Britney. (laughs) See, I had made my birth playlist but I never got to use it, which is why I love that, you know, fortuitously – Ed was playing and I got to, you know, I got to tell him and he loved it and for weeks after when I wanted to calm Buddy down in the car or whatever, I'd play, you know, perfect. And it was Andrea Mm. Bocelli, like half Italian, half English version, which we love because one of those like, you know, those white people that like wish they were Italian and want to live in Italy and that's us and take Italian lessons and, yeah, so it was all very perfect and I like to think that as soon as he hears even just the intro to that song, he, Mm. you know smiles and then oh, this is my birth song well next time you're hoping for like a special moment in your life if ed turns up in in your ears then you'll be like <laughs> this is the moment oh ed's here again. you'll have to take buddy to ed when he's here touring next year definitely he'll be there but he's um definitely a music fan i feel like we should just move on from babies just for one minute <laughs> oh, we'll be here <laughs> even though hours. like we this is all about babies but let's talk about your career ash and i know you know music has been a huge part of your career and life and something I know you're incredibly passionate about. Where did your love of music come from? I mean, it's a million-dollar question because my parents aren't musical people. Yeah. My dad was like had the worst singing voice of all time and only listened to Celine Dion, Neil Diamond and Frank Sinatra, who are three of my favourite artists now. And then my mum just listened to Jesus music growing up. So And Simon and Garfunkel, which I inherited a great love of Simon and Garfunkel from her. Mm. I think part of it was having a brother who was nine years older than me So he was listening to cool music and then I wanted to be cool like him. So like my first gig was like Powderfinger and something for Kate at Festival Hall and he took me. So there was that kind of thing. And then there was, I loved musicals. So I got into like musical theatre really young, like a real deep love of that kind of music. Yeah. And then we moved to the Philippines when I was young and my only real access to like life back home was MTV and Channel V, especially because – we got over there and I didn't start school for six months and I didn't know anybody and I wasn't allowed to really do anything or go out of the house. We didn't have a local park or like people I could meet. So I just kind of lived this life at home watching TV and it was like 98 to 2000, the greatest time for pop music yeah. in the history of the world. So like NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, 98 <sighs> Degrees, Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears. Then there was like R and all so R&B. Yeah, it was the best. And like music videos were like big deal back then right and you'd like you know nothing was on demand so you'd have to wait like when Ricky Martin who was my always number one um (laughs) when he would drop a new song I would sit in front of MTV for like 12 hours and just wait for it it's so easy these days isn't it just to like watch what you want listen to what you want when you want it was not like that for us no no we had to just like the radio you had to request a song or like wait for it to be on so really it was my only connection to home and to like life outside of this weird world that I was living in in this foreign city where 
I was so different to everybody and had no friends. I just became completely enveloped in pop music and I've adored it ever since. And working in radio, if anything, kind of ruined that because, yeah. you know, you you stopped listening to music for the love of it. So for me, it's been really interesting to note the kind of music I've listened to since I stopped working commercial radio. Okay. And yeah. now when I listen to the radio and I don't know, I can, I can realise, oh, that's probably Camila Cabello or that sounds like J Balvin, but I don't know the song. Whereas yeah. that was mm-hmm. for the last 10 years. You knew everything. Everything. As soon as it was out, knew it. Knew all the words, whether I wanted to or not. So giving up your national radio show, that must have been a big decision. What kind of drove you to do that? Yeah. Well, I made the decision before I was pregnant. So it was contract time and I only wanted a one-year extension. I just felt like I was getting older. And you know, the night show is, you know, it's it's all-consuming. It's not like a breakfast show where you are done at 9 a.m., you know. Yeah. You're done at 10 p.m. And I knew that I wanted to have kids and for where I wanted my life to go, it probably didn't make a lot of sense for me to be hosting a night show. And I think the magic had kind of worn off, not in a bad way, just in a it's time way. And I yeah. know that it's such a privilege to be on air that I didn't ever want to outstay my welcome. I didn't want to do it for one more minute longer than I should have because I want the next person to come and make their dreams come true. So I asked for just a one-year contract and my boss said yes. And then a month later I weed on the stick and there were two lines and – yeah, I was really open with my team. I told them seven months before I finished, I said, this will be my last year because I didn't want there to be that, you know, which so often happens in radio. Like I'm finishing up, today's my last show, you know, see ya. But I was really conscious of wanting to respect my team and my producers and everyone I worked with. So it was nice to do it slowly and to be able to tell artists and, and labels and friends myself. And um, I don't regret it at all, but it has been a huge change, like you said. I mean, COVID was a nice kind of softener of the change because I think if I'd gone from pre-COVID, which was quite literally like overseas every couple of weeks, you know, trips to Paris and trips to New York and all that, go, 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 go. I'm sure it sounds way more glamorous than what it actually is. In fact, I kind of know that it is. Yeah, that yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, the first year you're like, I'm so cool. And then it got to the point where I was like, can someone else take this trip for me? Like, I don't mm. want to go. You can't make me go. I'm too angry. I don't want to go. I just want to stay home. Please let me stay home. Yeah. So the first six months of COVID, I was like, oh, like my bag doesn't have to always be half packed. And I don't always have to be like checking my calendar to see how long I'm home for. And, you know, like it was too much. So I had this nice kind of softener because if I'd gone from the craziness to the cleaning poo off the cream couch <laughs> and not wearing a bra. It's a little extreme. Yeah. The only, the only like similarity was the fact that both included wearing the Qantas pyjamas but one was like <laughs> on the plane going to New York in business class and the other was like same top for three days with a bit of vomit stain on it because I haven't <laughs> had a shower. Out of all those beautiful, crazy experiences from your career traveling and interviewing some amazing people what was like a real highlight that stands out or what made a real impact on you I mean I've had so many amazing experiences Mm. but I did a really great interview with Harry Styles in LA one day and I'd literally just gone over for the interview and I don't like LA it smells like weed and like I have curly hair and like no one believes but the weed smell gets into my hair follicles and I can't get it out. 
So I had this wonderful day where I just like arrived and I had a damn pat like on the way to the hotel I would order the massage because they had this thing called Soothe and it's like Uber Eats for massages. So like the missile comes oh. to your house. So I, and I had a damn pat like get off at LAX, get in the car, order the Soothe, get to the hotel, get the lobster mac and cheese, eat the lobster mac and cheese, have the like Yum. I had a damn pat. And I would do I would do like two-day trips because I was like, I'm going to stay one second longer than I have to. And I just had this like, I think it was at the point in my career where I'd well and truly gotten over the idea that any of these artists were cool and yeah. were any better than anyone. And I like approached it with like a respect but really like, come on, guys. Mm-hmm. We all have a very easy life and none of this is important. Yeah. And I brought that to the interview <laughs> and it was like – no one has given less of a shit. No, that's not the word. That's not the right word. I just was in a funny mood, and he appreciated it. We just had this great chat, mm. and I was like, "That was worth, you know, the, the flying for." You know, the same with like Taylor Swift. It was like twenty four hours in Paris for an interview with Taylor Swift, and that's one of those moments where you're like, "My life is ridiculous." Did I just do that? Yeah, like I'm walking around Paris, listening to the album, stopping for a glass of wine. I was like, this is insane. It's just insanity. So, yeah, Stylesy, Taylor Swift. And then I got to do all of like the MTV VMAs and stuff. And that was very full circle because when I was a kid, I dreamed of being just like close to that world. Yeah. And then I was able to go and be in the room, watch it happen. And, again, it takes the shine off because you realise that, you know, like everything in this industry, it's all bullshit. Not in a bad mm. way, just it is. It's all just a facade. But I'm really grateful for that experience because it means that I don't ever really look at anything anymore and think, wow, those people are happy and their life is so much better than mine and I don't have any of that kind of striving because I know that these people that we think have got mm. this shit together and whose lives are perfect and don't have any problems are just as insecure, just as yeah. scared, just as normal as all of us. So true. Yeah, totally. So we're all the same. We are all human beings. And now you've just settled into your nice life of podcasting from home. I do miss the Emirates <laughs> business class bar. <laughs> and, you know, I miss that. I have moments where I'm like, buddy, mum used to be really cool. Really cool. <laughs> like, you know, of course. At least you've got it on record to prove it. Right? That's what I yeah. often say. But life has changed. And I have to admit, there are moments where I do think, oh, God, like, Am I ever going to get my life back? Like, will, mm. ever, will someone ever hire me again? You know, and there was part of me that was kind of didn't want to be just, you know, the mum broadcaster and kind of really actively avoided that and fought against it, which really is just misogyny. Like, that really is just this mm-hmm. internalized misogyny that I have kind of absorbed that in some sense, mum content is not as cool as other content. But once I became aware of that and I could kind of call it what it is, I have a better attitude about it because mm. that really, like I can do an interview with someone really cool and famous and one person might reach out and be like, I love that interview, but I can talk about how breastfeeding makes me stressed and 300 women will be like, oh, my God, thank you. People can relate to it. It's real. Totally. I'm glad I got over that BS. So you're also studying your postgrad in psychology. This is something that sort of sparked a bit of interest for both Soph and I. Tell us about this. What led you to it? How do you hope to sort of integrate this into your life or your media work? So I did it because I had a really keen interest in mindfulness and Mm. the world needs kind of more of that stuff. 
But I was finding that a lot of broadcasters were kind of talking from a place of no real education. Mm. And I think in this day and age, it's really important, which is like, wow, my podcast, if I ever have an expert on or someone speaking to a topic, I will always make a point of outlining their qualifications because I think, you know, you can't just take advice from anybody. So Mm. I was looking around at the media landscape at the time, commercial radio, feeling like there's so much more I could be offering here, but I can't really do that unless me being a yoga fan and doing meditation doesn't put me in a place where I'm allowed to speak to those things. So I just wanted to kind of up my game a bit. So I enrolled and obviously deferred now for the baby, but uh, the first year was really tough because I thought I'd be talking about like trauma and it was just like statistics and it was harrowing Mm. and I was like had morning sickness and I was like why did I do yeah why did I do this but Mm. really interesting and it put me it already even though I've only I think I've done about a third of it it's helped me to question a lot of things that I read on the internet I'm like okay well has there actually been any studies done to prove that and I can actually read the study and because of my understanding of statistics I know what they're talking about so if anyone's thinking of doing psychology it will be a lot of mathematics at the start just warning you. I've always had it in my head that I'd like to do it, but I don't think I'm ever going to do it. So I'm really impressed that you're doing it. <laughs> you go, girl. Thank you. I'm really proud that I even got through the year. And of course, it was like first one, HD, second one, distinction, third one, <laughs> credit. But the fourth one, I was like, God, give me a pass. <laughs> <laughs> just get me through this. It is so fascinating, though, like just the study of people's behavior. I find like when I speak to my psychologist that I'm like, so tell me more about this theory that you're finding behaviours from me. Like, tell me about it. She's like, I read this really waste the time. <laughs> yeah, you're paying me. I read yeah. this really great book called How to Do the Work, and mm-hmm. I think she's a clinical psychologist on Instagram. She's called the Holistic Psychologist Nicole Lapera, I think her name is, and I highly recommend that. It was for me. It was it was life changing, and a lot mm-hmm. of that is about how so much of the way we interact with the world was how we are parented, which isn't a new idea at all, but it made a lot of sense to me and um, the idea that everything that happens to you is your responsibility, not because it's your fault that it happened, but as soon as it happens to you, what are you going to do about it? Then it's you, you know, and you Mm. can be a victim and you can keep just living on autopilot as a kind of um, product of your experiences or you can kind of scratch the surface, dig deeper, figure out why you're doing what you're doing and then change it. And um, that was really, really life-changing for me to figure out. Ash, we could talk to you for hours, but I really want you to get a bit of time on the couch to watch your show. But before we finish up, do you have any kind of little sweet slices of advice that you would give to a new mum? My sweet slice of advice would be that there are no rules so just like get over the idea of it should be this. No, I don't care which expert tells you what it is. You've got to do what works for you. So like, you know, you need to put that baby on the boob to get them to sleep. Well, who do you answer to about that? Nobody. You don't answer to anybody but yourself and get help. I couldn't agree more with that, actually. I mean, I still won't take that advice a lot of the time, (laughs) but I know it to be true even if I don't take that advice. Thank you so much, Ash. You have been such a pleasure to talk to and from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for your precious time. 
because we all know what it's like to take time away from babies or, you know, your time when they're asleep and things like that. Thank you. Will you you come on my podcast now? Can we do like a reciprocal? Yes. Because I'm asking you on the podcast so you can't say no. We need to continue our chat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We'd love to. We can continue the conversation. Yes. Okay. To be continued at some point in coming months. Yes. Love you girls. Thank you so we much. Love you, Ash. Thank you so much. That's it for today. Make sure you head to incommonprojects.com.au for the show notes. Hit subscribe on your podcast app and follow us on Instagram at Talking In Common. Or you can check out our Facebook page, which is also Talking In Common. Have a lovely day and as always, thanks for listening.